starting our new sermon series, Cross-Examine, and it's a, a, a series that's about leading us into Easter and the celebration of the most significant event in all of humankind. It's when God became man through Jesus Christ, walked on this earth. He split history, B.C., A.D., even if they changed the initials, it's still 2,021 years from Jesus he split history. See, the cross demands a response. He transformed lives, and he still does. As we go into this series, I want to ask that you would work to be open and that you would listen to the evidence we talk about. We're going to bring different witnesses to the stand to give firsthand testimony of what happened in their lives as a witness all that led up to the cross and how Jesus died and what was their response. See, some people will encounter Jesus Christ and they will lean in and he transforms. Others kind of, I'm not so sure, and it takes a little time and then slowly with time they transform. Others back away and say, uh-uh, this threatens my kingdom. It threatens my way of life. It threatens who's in control and I don't like it. And I so hope you lean in. If not careful, so much of life can just cause you to be a little bit cynical. You know, there are so many scams out there. There are so many liars. There's so much abuse. There's so much hurt. There's so much pain. You know, like just the other day, we had someone trying to scam the church out of money. I had a guy named Benjamin from who knows where, and uh, um, he emailed the staff saying, I'm Pastor Barry. He didn't think about his email saying Benjamin, I guess. Like, that wasn't a very good scam. I, but uh, um, he, he, he says, hi, I'm Pastor Barry. I'm new on staff. And he just tried to, I want to challenge you to help me do a surprise for the rest of the staff. I want to give gift cards to everybody. And so what I need you to do is I can't get to the store right now. I need you to use your church card to go buy, I think it was Target gift cards, and, and then take a picture of the front and back, send them to me and I'm going to give them out. We'll reimburse you later. <laughs> well, everybody with, you know, just looked at it and went, stupid, you know, uh, delete. That's not real. Barry's right down the office. That's not him. Other than one guy who happened to be kind of ornery, as you hear the story, you'll know, oh, he must be on the youth ministry team. He, maybe. Uh, um, he decided to have some fun with it for the day. And he started responding and saying, oh, Pastor Barry, I haven't met you yet. I'm so excited. To, he went, oh, I would love to help you. And, and then, oh, you want a picture? Oh, I just dropped my phone and I can't take a picture. I'm sorry. Here's a picture of my broken phone. <laughs> Which kind of, he's like, well, how did you take this picture? Oh, I borrowed Pastor Chris's phone. And then, well, why don't you use Pastor Chris's phone? Oh, I didn't think of that. It just goes on. I have eight pages of emails back and forth he did with this guy. And then finally, he's like, can you now picture it to me now? He's getting frustrated. And, uh, and then he's like, no, man, I can't. 
I know you don't work for the church. I didn't buy any gift cards. I've just been messing with you all day. Hope you had as much fun as I did. <laughs> you know, we can laugh about that, but honestly, there's something that kind of hits us. That someone would actually try and take advantage of a church. Or as in a few years ago when my grandmother was in her 90s, just a home scam guy came by and, oh, you're going to have a hole in your roof if you don't let me fix this for a few thousand dollars. Goes up and just cuts off a branch. You know, there's something wrong about taking advantage of the elderly or those at risk or struggling, barely getting by. And it just, oh. You know, what happens is, is we start to get a little disgusted and frustrated and, and cynicism starts to kind of ebb down into our view of this world. And, and instead of seeing goodness in others, we start to just go, man, people are messed up. And then we just kind of get to this point where we kind of join Shrek and it's me and my swamp, leave me alone and I'll just do better by myself. And then we start to question the goodness of God as well. And we don't realize all, all that it seeps into as we just put our walls higher and higher. You know, the crazy thing is, is how many people that you talk to who've done this who think they're like this when actually they're still, they're like, no, I'm open. And maybe that's you today. You've got drugged to church. Maybe your parents could be your spouse, maybe some friends. Could I ask you to just be open for a little bit and as we go through this series to think about what might God have to say to you, what might the cross present to you as a challenge? See, if you're cynical, you actually might kind of just fit right in with our first witness I'm going to call in a second. But here's the bottom line that I don't want you to miss. At the cross, transformation then and transformation now is offered. Kingdoms are going to collide, yours and his, the world and Jesus's. And a choice has always been required by the cross. If not careful, you'll put this whole decision off to, well, I, I, I'm going to get around to that when I have kids or when I get near the end of life. It's, it's about next life. And that is a lie that Satan loves to trick us with. Oh, I have time. It, it's, it's a someday decision. It's not a today decision. No, that's not true. You know, when God wants to enter our life, when we submit to him here, it, it's about eternal life there, but it also begins here. See, I believe that not only is there a God, here's a good God. I believe that he sent his son to die on a cross that we could experience grace. I, I've seen so many lives transformed by the power and the goodness of this God who loves us so much that he would send his son to die on a cross, that, that he would come down, he would split history, that he would collide the evil versus good of this world. And 
and offer us a way. Today, as we start this series, I want to challenge the believers, whether you've been following for years, whether you're brand new to this whole thing, to go deeper into why you believe, because we're going to bring out some details along the way of this journey that you go, oh, I didn't realize that. And for those who maybe are on the fence to realize you can't be on the fence. See, I also fully believe in heaven and hell and all of us are gonna land in one place or the other depending on what we decide to do with this cross, with Jesus, with what he offers. Will we accept, will we reject? The first witness is the centurion, the skeptic. The centurion would have seen much blood, much pain, much ugliness. He uh, was a soldier who was an officer over 100 others, thus the name centurion. And, and uh, he, he, I'm sure, would be just like anybody who deals with criminals on a regular basis and is, he becomes calloused a little. It's just, hey, yeah, you're innocent, whatever. And, and, you know, I'm here to do a job. He was there from the beginning to the end to make sure that all that was required was done of Jesus's execution. Now, some of you might say, wait a second, is this the same centurion that Jesus had an interaction with in the Gospels? No, not at all. This guy is a professional soldier. There's going to be numerous centurions in that area. But the centurion about that interaction, he had compassion, incredible faith, and he came and asked Jesus to heal his son, and there's this wonderful miracle that's done. In this situation, no pity, no compassion, no empathy. It's a different guy, but yet something happens to him where he goes from moving to sympathetic of nothing but Rome to sympathetic to the criminal that he is executing, and so brash of a change happens as he sees how Jesus dies. He sees and hears the words. He sees what happens around him that in the end, he says in Mark chapter 15, surely this man was the son of God. What happened between the beginning to the end to have that kind of transformation? Well, see, he saw as they whipped Jesus you know, the Jews were only limited to 39 times that they would whip, and beyond that was considered a, an execution, and you could not do that under the Roman law as a Jew. And he saw how Jesus took just whoopsh, whoopsh. And when they would whip, it would actually rip chunks of flesh out because it would implant in the end of the whip bone and rock and other things where it was meant to open up the back to then the blood to begin to flow so they wouldn't last as long on the cross. He saw how Jesus said almost nothing when he'd probably seen over and over, you know, cursing and spitting and yelling and, and begging for, for all kinds of stuff. And Jesus was like a lamb led to the slaughter, it says. He saw as they put him between two criminals in the place called Golgotha, the skull. And, and that silence was finally broken as the soldiers were casting die to figure out who was going to get his clothes. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. I can just imagine, what? Did, did, what did he say? Did, did you? The last thing that you would expect to come from a guy who's in absolute agony on a cross being tortured, Father, forgive them. And I think at that moment, something shook inside him. It says that the area was going dark in a strange way. There was an earthquake that happened. Rocks began to break into in the temple, in the, uh, the holy of holies that only the, the high priest could go into. The temple shred this huge tapestry that is, was separating the people from God. Only the holy, in the holy of holies could the high priest alone go. And it ripped this thick cloth from the top to the bottom, just like a giant ripped it. It says that in the Bible, as you read the account, that their dead emptied out of their graves and walked. And the centurion witnessed all this. He witnessed what happened. He saw all that was going on. This man was truly the son of God is his final declaration in that verse 39 I believe he was changed. We have the second witness, Simon of Cyrene, just a bystander who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. See, he was actually from a place in Libya, not from Jerusalem. He uh, was just a guy coming as the crowds were coming for what is called the Passover feast, a very important part of the Jewish calendar where they would celebrate this thing of history that meant so much to them that we'll not go into right now. It's just this big deal where they would travel from long distances. Well, he's walking in and he knows very little, if anything, other than maybe just a little highway news along the way. He hadn't been able to follow Jesus on Instagram, no tweets, no anything going on. He hadn't read any of the articles. And so he shows up just walking along, not knowing really anything. And here's what we find about him in chapter 15, verse 21, a passerby named Simon who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, first of all, I've told you before, one of the most hated rules that the Jews had to deal with, that they negotiated with Rome on, was that they had to carry something for a soldier if demanded at any point. Carry my stuff carry my sword, carry this cross, whatever it might be. So he's coming in possibly with family, possibly with his wife and his kids, and he's at least coming, just walking into town. He has his clothes on and, you know, just normal looking stuff. And all of a sudden these clothes are going to be stained by blood and dirt from a cross. He's now humiliated because as he walks through the streets carrying this cross, everybody's going to just see Along the way, oh, another criminal going to his death. And he's now getting that label upon him where they don't realize he got, you know, forced to carry it. And I doubt he was really happy about it. You know, I don't know how you landed in church today and whether you feel forced into it. You might identify with me as a kid where I, I had a real drug problem. My mom drugged me to church every time the doors opened. And 
You know, I'm so thankful she did. I'm so thankful my dad did. While I fought that at times, while I was ooh, normal kid and angry about it and argued about it and why dad, why mom, it made me into who I am today where I had an opportunity to make a decision. I hope that you'll think about the decision that's before you. You know, I want to put on an investigator hat for just a moment. A couple of things are in this passage that you might not realize. See, Mark actually points out something that is unique to his gospel. First of all, it's very clear. He says, this is Simon of Cyrene. This is not Simon the apostle. It's not Simon the, the disciple. It's not Simon from somewhere else. And then he says he has two boys, Alexander and Rufus. Now, Alexander, that was a common name. Rufus, not so common. Why did he say that? Well, you just got to go to another part of Scripture to find out because we're given a hint into what actually happened in this guy's life, what his response was actually in Romans chapter 16, verse 13. See, you find out something that happened in this. What Mark was doing was saying, hey, church community, those who know, you know Simon, Simon of Cyrene. You know he's dad of Alexander and Rufus. Now, let me pick up what happened. See, Paul writes, greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, Simon's wife, who had been a mother to me, to Paul. I mean, this is amazing. This is so cool how the See what happened. Warren Worsby actually puts it really well. He says, Simon came to Jerusalem to sacrifice his Passover lamb, and he met the lamb of God who was sacrificed for him. I can't imagine, first of all, what Jesus went through. Then just think about the cross. Saying, for those in the traditional, would you just look above the baptistry, look at that cross, and imagine it big enough that somebody can carry. For those in here, look through the cross on the wall for just a thing. Can you imagine carrying that through the streets? I've walked those streets. It's a, not a short little walk where you go along where it was through Jerusalem, the way of the cross. To the hill outside where he was hung. And Simon had this put upon his back. He saw the obliterated man there that had been carrying it. He saw how he interacted and something changed within him. And it not only impacted him, it impacted his family. And he went away changed. But not all change. The third witness should have been the one that would absolutely be looking for Jesus, excited about Jesus, ready to welcome Jesus. His name is Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest at the time. 
Uh, he, you could identify with him kind of like the Pope for the Catholics. Hey, and he, he was like the Pope for the Jews. He was high priest. He oversaw what is called the Sanhedrin, where you have your Sadducees who did not believe in an afterlife, and he was from that sect. And you had the Pharisees who were religious, very intense. They believed in an afterlife, but they were like the Democrats and Republicans of today, but of the Jewish culture. And he was the head dog who oversaw this governing party of the Jews. Now, let me just share a little bit about him that is so important to understand. Why did he fight Jesus so much? Why did he fight the disciples even after his death? They, they, they won, they killed Jesus, and yet they continue to fight. Well, first of all, Jesus called them out more than once. We'll get to that in a second about their hypocrisy and the, the abuse of the faith that God had given them to give to the people. But more than that, he was just a threat to their power. See, this is about political power. Caiaphas actually served as high priest way longer than what was the norm. The norm was around three to four years, maybe five he served 18 years. His family was known to own a lot of property around Jerusalem and in that area. He was very influential, had the inn with the Roman governor. He worked real well with Pilate. And Jesus, well, people were starting to listen to him. Hey, do you really, you know, it was said that he... I like how Pastor Andley said, and Pastor and author Andy Stanley writes, people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. The crowds in general, those who were religious like him, but even the prostitutes and what would be the tax collectors, the worst of that society, looked down upon, no one liked. They listened to Jesus. And so crowds were flocking and, and they were going, what does this mean for us? Uh, I know that there's going to be a Messiah, but oh no. Let's just pick up and what it talks about here in this passage. In John chapter 11, it says, Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are you going to do? They asked each other. What are we going to? This man performs. Do you catch that? They saw and knew that he was performing miracles. And instead of going, yeah, this is awesome. People are being healed. He's doing all kinds of great things. They were mad. He says, if we allow him to go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Caiaphas, who was high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you don't realize that it's better for you. Now, let me just stop right there. Do you realize what he just said? It's better for you, religious leaders. It's better for you, political power. It's better for you with all that you have. And then he gets his PC hat on that one man should die for the people. And the whole nation to be destroyed. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders begin to plot Jesus' death. Jesus had called them out. It started just personal. He called them out. Make no bones about it. It was clear. Their hypocritical teachings. I mean, you could just look at Matthew chapter 23. I'll just read one verse. Verse 13. It says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law? You Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourself and you don't let anybody else in. And they're jealous, but they're angry. They've taken this personal. I mean, Pilate was the Roman governor over them. They couldn't do nothing. Caiaphas couldn't do anything unless really, well, Pilate said it was okay. And Pilate, it says in Mark 27, knew very well what the real problem was. They were envious, jealous of him. See, here's the thing. The cross is where kingdoms collide. It's where their power versus Jesus' power. Their way versus his way. And you know, not a lot has changed in over 2,000 years. The kingdoms still collide at the cross. It's yours versus his. It's Hollywood versus Jesus, D.C. versus Jesus, my selfishness versus his, and his way is so different. And I have to ask, and you have to ask, is it my kingdom that's going to reign, or is it his? There's no neutral place on this. You can't just go, I'm just not going to vote. I'm just not going to make... There is no neutral. There's no fence setting. And so let me ask you, for Caiaphas, he decided to say, I'm going to see it through pride. How are you going to see the cross? You know, they continued to even after Jesus' death. Caiaphas is one, it appears. They were still so afraid of him and the message and the kingdom of God that they persecuted all throughout Acts. You just read about it. But you know something that really sums it all up was actually found in 1990. By a construction crew right outside of Jerusalem, they were working on a road and uncovered an archaeological find that went, whoa, everything stops. And they come in and they find that this is a burial tomb with several burial boxes in it. Caiaphas, who has this big power, outreigned I mean, basically any high priest around him before and after. You know what was left of Caiaphas's reign was a burial box that just had his remains, pieces of bone, ash, just whatever was left of him at this point. found by a construction crew a couple thousand years later. I wonder what would be left of your kingdom or mine. Outside of Christ, not much, just a box someday with our remains. Jesus transforms everything. You may have been forced today to be here. You may have been forced along the way. You may not even realize how closed off you are. Oh, there's many who've called themselves believers and followers who've sat in church their whole life. But they hide behind it just in piousness and pride just as the Pharisees and the Sadducees did.
I pray that over this series, you'll examine your own heart. As Jesus challenged back then, he challenges today, just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of what you have seen, the miracles, the witnesses and all. Oh, that you would believe. You know, you don't have to walk it alone. I'm not going to say this life is easy if you follow Christ. In fact, it'll make some things harder. But I'm so thankful for what he's done in my life through the cross. Would you listen to pastor and author Max Lucado as he describes in one of his books? There was something about the crucifixion that made every witness either step toward it or away from it simultaneously compelled and repelled. And today, 2,000 years later, the same is true. It's the watershed. It's the continental divide. It's Normandy. And you are either on one side or the other. A choice is demanded. We can do what we want with the cross. We can examine its history. We can study its theology. We can reflect upon its prophecies. Yet one thing we can't do is walk away in neutral. No fence-sitting is permitted. The cross in its absurd splendor doesn't allow that. That is the one luxury that God in his awful mercy doesn't permit on which side are you? There's a daily lesson of letting go and turning over that I have to do and you do as well. If not careful, you'll start to go through life and you just get frustrated because maybe work just stinks. Maybe you have a lot of pressure. Maybe you're stressed out with your family. Maybe you're frustrated and just so sick of the injustice and the ugliness in this world. Maybe you're cynical for whatever reason. God wants you to face that cross, be transformed. The way of the cross is not easy. But it's transformed me and it's transformed countless others. Let Jesus have today whatever it is. Go on this journey with me. You won't regret it. You know, the disciples were given a reminder because life is hard. It's called communion. I encourage you, for those in the chapel, please grab your elements for those here, do. If you don't have them at home yet, please go in and grab them out of the kitchen. Some bread, some juice. His first disciples struggled with it, and we have ever since. They were looking for a kingdom. They're looking to be in power. They're looking to sit right with Jesus, and we're going to overthrow Rome, and it's going to be great. And he's like, um, I'm going to die on the cross, and... Oh, he's talking symbolic, I'm sure of it. He's like, no, and I want you to remember me that there's victory in this. He took some bread and he broke it. And he said, take this and eat. It represents my body 
which is going to be broken for you. He took a cup. Filled it with some wine or juice of some sort and he passed it to the disciples said this represents my blood that will be shed for you take and drink transformation is offered kingdoms will collide and a decision must be made bow with me God, we come before you, our almighty God, and I admit with many others that I've been so stubborn with you. I've not trusted you when you've said, it's okay, Barry. I, I've drugged my heels. I, I've thrown tantrums about not liking things, but God, you are patient. You have been so good to me, and I admit that right now. Thank you, Father God, for loving me. And Lord, there are so many here listening in both of, our, both of our auditorium and chapel and so many who are online right now who just need you to speak into their hearts to to whatever their fears are. I know that you're telling them to do not be afraid just as you've told me. That you take hold of our right hand and say, do not fear, I'll help you said that for thousands of years as the prophet Isaiah said to Jesus said he'll never leave us never forsake us oh God thank you for being by our side I pray that you would do a work and that as our kingdoms are at war right now even in our hearts and many who are listening we would just say here you go God you were the word in the beginning. You were Lord most high and you reign yet today. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name.